Grand Rapids native Jerry Sitzer wrote a very important book entitled A Grace Disguised. We use this book in our leadership development forum here at the church. It's a really, it's a fabulous book. I highly recommend it. In the book, uh, Jerry Sitzer tells the story and then processes through a horrific car accident that he went through in which his mom, his wife, and one of his daughters were killed while he and his other three remaining children survived. It's a powerful story of how God was at work after that in the healing and in the restoring and as he begins to try to process this calamitous event. The book's entitled A Grace Disguised and perhaps the most powerful part of the book is in the epilogue. And in the epilogue, he's trying to answer what he claims is the question most often asked in the midst of calamitous suffering. And it's this. Will my life ever be good again? This is what he says as part of the response. Obviously, the loss of my children, the loss my children and I suffered was irreversible. As I have already written, I will never have Linda, Diana Jane, or my mother back again. The goodness they contributed to my life and to so many others, and the goodness we shared together are gone forever. Yet I can say without a moment's hesitation that my life has been very good since the accident occurred, though not as I had planned or imagined. It's almost a surprise to me as if learning I had just inherited a million dollars from some cranky uncle whom I had never liked. I find it hard to fathom or explain. And here's the line. I can only say that it is grace, pure grace. How could so much good come from something that was so unequivocally bad? And then just a few paragraphs later, he says this. Somewhere along the line, I realized I would have to change my idea of what the good life meant and promised. The old definition died on a lonely highway in rural Idaho back in 1991. The new definition has emerged so gradually and quietly that I'm not sure I can make sense of it. In these two paragraphs, you get the basis for the title of the book, A Grace Disguised. The idea that God's grace is at work in our lives in quiet, mysterious, disguised ways. This morning, we're finishing up our third of four mini-series in the book of Titus. We began the year in the book of Titus with a topical series, and Titus choosing the topics for us. The first one we did was called A Godly Life, and we talked about various topics and situations in life in which it's very easy for our lives to feel out of control, even though God is in control of all things. 
We then talked about a true life, and we studied sound doctrine. Most recently, we've been in a series we've entitled A Quiet Life, and we've been talking about how the things in life that aren't noisy or flashy or loud or that people pay a lot of attention to, those quiet things are blessed by God. We talked about self-control, being worthy of respect, the value of teaching, of submission. And this morning we end by talking about one of the most quiet things in our lives. Not loud, not flashy, perhaps not even noticed. God's grace. That often in our lives, God's grace is quiet, God's grace is disguised. So I'd like to invite you to take a Bible and turn to the book of Titus with me, chapter two. Titus chapter two. If you've been watching online with us for a little while or you've been participating in our services this year in Titus, the verses we're going to look at this morning will not be strange to you. We've been saying these as our benediction almost every week. Titus chapter two, beginning in verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now in these three verses, the word appear appears twice. The second time is in verse 13. And it's a reference to the second coming of Jesus. This will not be a quiet event. This will be a most loud event, the loudest event in human history. Jesus himself will return. The trumpet will sound. The angels and the armies of heaven will come with him. The whole universe will take notice as the God of all things comes back to dwell on this earth as king of kings and lord of lords. It's the blessed hope that we're looking forward to. It is the loud event. It is heaven shouting Jesus' praises. But it's the first time the word appear appears in our passage that we want to focus on today. That's in verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared. This is a more oblique reference to Jesus' first coming, what we celebrate at Christmas. And this was a very quiet coming. No one seemed to notice that the God of the universe slipped into human existence as a baby born in a manger 
in a quiet, forgotten corner of the empire. God's grace appeared so quietly, so disguised, that nobody seemed to notice. But it's not just about Jesus' first coming. It's about the fact that Jesus' first coming is really a model for how often God's grace appears to us now in this age while we wait for that loud second coming. It says that God's grace has appeared that offers, present tense, salvation to all people. It teaches us, present tense, God's grace is still appearing in this age in quiet, gentle ways, a grace disguised. And so this morning I'd like to talk through four ways that God's grace comes quietly into our lives. We may not notice, we may not be paying close attention, but God's grace is at work. The first is hinted at in our passage. Verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. One of the ways God's quiet, disguised grace comes into our lives is when God offers us salvation. When Lisa and I were in seminary, I had a friend uh, who was a, a student enrolled in the seminary. She was from the country of Georgia. Not the state of Georgia, the country of Georgia, just south of Russia. And I remember when she shared her testimony with me, it stuck with me for all these years because of how subtle and disguised and gentle God's grace that offered her salvation was. Her job before she came to faith was she was a professional translator. And she lived in the country of Georgia and people who would come who needed her to translate things into Russia would hire her to do so. Subtly and unbeknownst to her, God started to cause her to be hired by a number of Christians who were coming to the country, mission groups, others who were going. And what she found is as she was being paid to translate the gospel into Russian. What she didn't know is that while she was translating the gospel into Russian, God was translating the gospel into her heart. And slowly over time, God won her to himself. And here she was at Dallas Theological Seminary training for ministry. And I remember her testimony and I think, how subtle, how quiet, a grace disguised. Many of us have testimonies of coming to faith that are somewhat like that. There are testimonies like the Apostle Paul walking down the road to Damascus and all of a sudden a very loud grace from God. God appears to him, throws him off his donkey, throws him to the ground, blinds him with light and leads him to faith. In one moment, Paul goes from being a Christ persecutor to a Christ follower. Some of you may have a testimony like that and thank God for that. But many of us have a testimony that's more like the Apostle Peter. 
Apostles Peter's testimony is a more quiet testimony. You can see this if you ask the question, when did Peter become a Christian? Well, was it when he first met Jesus? Was it when he saw his first miracle? Was it on the mountain of transfiguration? Was it when he confessed that Jesus was the Messiah, the son of the living God? Was it when he saw Jesus crucified and raised from the dead? Was it when the spirit was poured out in Acts chapter two? We don't know. Peter simply journeyed into God's grace and he took step after step and God's grace was with with him like a river and he simply went with the current. Many of us have experiences or testimonies that are more like that. We can't point to a specific time. But yet God's grace in very quiet and subtle ways, offering us salvation along the way. I'm mindful that for some who are watching right now, this may be going on at this very moment. Maybe you have a neighbor who's a Christian, who's invited you into the midst of all of this confusion in this pandemic to start watching these services online. And maybe for out of boredom perhaps, you've simply started watching. And all of a sudden, you can't explain it, but you sort of feel drawn to some of these things about Jesus and God's word. And maybe you've suddenly started reading articles online about Christianity or what God might have to say about some of these kinds of things. Maybe you've been listening each week. Let me just tell you, this is God's grace, quiet and disguised, offering you gently salvation and that still, small, quiet voice in your mind or in your heart that is causing you to think maybe this is true. That's God and we might expect, you might expect it would be something loud and earth shattering. But God's grace is quiet. It comes to us disguised in a neighbor, in a service that's broadcast into our homes that we're able to just simply watch with no one else noticing, in a Bible verse that comes our way, and slowly you start to think, maybe there's something to all of this. That's the quiet grace of God offering you salvation. And if in your heart, you just let God's grace carry you where he's carrying you, if in your heart you just simply say yes back to God, quietly back to him, then you receive from God the same salvation that Peter received, that Paul received, and that all of us who have responded to God's grace, whether in big moments or in small. So the first way that God's grace quietly comes into our life is how it offers us salvation. A second way is also hinted at in our passage, verse 12. God's grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. God's grace very quietly has been transforming us into being more godly people. You know the experience of looking at an old picture of yourself and wondering, Did I ever really look like that? Maybe you're a kindergartner and you see a baby picture. Your parents show you a baby picture and you think, I never looked like that, did I? Or maybe you're in fifth grade and you see a picture of yourself when you were in kindergarten and you think, 
Who is that little boy? Or who is that little girl? Maybe you're a senior in high school and you're looking back at a picture of yourself in fifth grade and you think, yes, I know that's what I look like, but that's so different than what I look now. Maybe you are a senior adult looking back at a picture from high school and you think, whose hair was that? Whose face was that? Imagine what it would be like if we could somehow look at a picture of our spiritual qualities in a former self. What I mean is if you could somehow imagine that there could be a picture of things like harshness, uh, like baby fat, or insecurity, like teenage acne, or there could be things like struggling with anger uh, as a out-of-date hairstyle. Imagine picking up a picture that represented who you are, who I was spiritually five years ago or 10 years ago or 15 years ago. The thing I think we wouldn't recognize is we might say, yeah, that's me, but I look so different now. There probably wasn't one sermon or one event or one moment in which you suddenly stopped being so impatient or you suddenly stopped being so angry. But it will have been the grace of God, slowly but surely, quietly and subtly, in disguised ways, slowly teaching us to be godly, teaching us self-control. And although we don't know it's happening, week in and week out, Day after day after day, God's grace is slowly at work, chipping away things in our life. So much so, if we could ever see a picture of our former spiritual selves, we would think, I can't believe I ever used to act like that. I can't believe I ever used to think like that. That's God's grace at work in our lives. So a second way that God's quiet, subtle grace is at work is in teaching us to be godly. A third way, not so much in this passage, but in 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter says, and the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. The same idea is also in Psalm 23, verses one and two. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. This is really what a grace disguised is talking about, is that God's grace slowly but surely, subtly, quietly restores our souls. That whether we have been through some catastrophic loss or whether we have slowly been wounded over time, God's grace is at work mending and healing and restoring and repairing. This is why that book of Grace Disguised is so powerful and I urge you, if you've gone through loss or suffering, to consider reading the book. I think it will be part of God's quiet grace 
to bring healing and restoration to your heart. Pastor Bruce this week did one of our word of the day videos and he talked about Psalm 23. And he made the point in Psalm 23 that during this quarantine that we're in the middle of, that in many ways God is making us lie down. I think that's such a great insight. Psalm 23, the shepherd makes the sheep lie down and rest. And in many ways the quarantine that we're under is forced rest from God. I think part of what God's trying to accomplish is through his grace, he's trying to revive our hearts, restore our souls. How many of us have cried out to God at some point or another in the past year for a break from all the activities and all the busyness? How many of us have felt like the hamster running on the wheel, going round and round, and we've longed for rest? Of course, once we get it. We think, well, I don't want rest anymore. But this is God's grace to us, restoring our souls. Perhaps for some of us, it's a time maybe when you've lost a loved one and you feel like, well, the loneliness of not having this loved one here is amplified by this quarantine that we're under. But maybe it's God's grace to you, disguised, as a chance for you to be able to face that loss, to grieve, to mourn, to not run away from it anymore, to have to sit in the silence and the loneliness, to lament the death, to engage with the Lord, to let out that anger, to have that conversation with God that you've always needed to have about this thing, to simply weep. It may be God's grace, disguised, bringing healing to your wounded soul. This quarantine may be God's grace to us because parents have been encouraging us to play sports semester after semester, and we've gone from season to season, from coach to coach, pressing forward constantly without knowing that perhaps our souls have been wounded in the process that all this playing of sports has all gotten us trying to perform and to live up to expectations. It's made us perhaps proud or insecure or competitive. Maybe this quarantine is God's grace during this time to bring healing, to restore our souls, to remind us that we are more than athletes, that our value to God is not in how well we play soccer or basketball or how fast we are, or the approval of our coach, or our parents, or our teammates. Maybe this is God's grace, slowly, quietly, in a disguised way, bringing healing. Maybe this quarantine is God's grace to bring healing from church activities. Now we think if the church is involved, it must be good. It's possible to serve too much. It's possible to do too much. It's possible to be involved in too many programs. 
And there's a sense in which even though the church is offering, we keep saying yes and we keep running and we keep getting involved and we keep doing these things and maybe this is God's grace to us in a disguised and quiet way for him to say, your soul's been wounded by all this serving. You're always giving. This is a time for rest. It's a time for quiet. This week, I was on a phone call with pastors of other large churches in West Michigan, and we were trying to talk together, okay, how do we plan for reopening? Because Lord willing, that is coming when we're going to be able to open this back up. How do we do this? And we were just trying to encourage one another and share some ideas with one another and try the best we could to kind of think through what's happening. Uh, Jeff Mannion from Made a Bible was on that call, and he made a comment that I thought was really insightful. He said, who knows if five years from now we won't be looking back on this time and all the changes and the rest and the things that God was doing and thank God for COVID-19. I think that's very insightful. And I think, I think we will thank God for that. Not, of course, for the disease and not, of course, for the suffering. But to be able to look back and to realize that during this time, God is at work on our souls, restoring us, reviving us, re-energizing us, causing us to see church even as a blessing and not a burden. To see opportunities for serving as what they are, opportunities for serving and not just one more thing to put on our list to do. God's grace in very quiet and subtle ways is always at work restoring our souls. And then a fourth and final way, and it's not the only way, it's just the four ways that I wanted to share with you today, that God's grace is at work in our lives in quiet ways, is in our callings in life. Ephesians chapter three says this, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace, given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. Paul recognizes that his calling is an act of God's grace. Now, some of us may have the same calling that Paul did, and in many ways, all of us have the calling to share the gospel that Paul had, but that's not what I'm talking about this morning. I'm talking about the specific calling you have, or I may have, for the occupation or the vocation we have in life. Perhaps you're called to be in construction. Perhaps you're called to be a teacher. Perhaps you're called to be by God, to be a director of marketing. Perhaps you're called by God to be a student. Perhaps you're called by God to be in real estate. Whatever it may be, my guess is your calling from God did not come in one big moment. But instead, it was just the gentle, subtle, quiet grace of God leading you towards an occupation, leading you towards something to do, work that would be meaningful, fulfilling, satisfying for you. And it probably didn't happen in one day or one week or even one month, but over time, God has been gently pushing you into the calling in which you find yourself now. Let me just say as an aside, as a word of encouragement, 
to high school, uh, high schoolers, college students, young adults. The world is telling you, how many times have you been asked, what are you going to do next? What's coming for you? Let me just say what the world expects is for you to make some one decision now that will affect what you're going to do for the rest of your life. Let me just say God's grace is more subtle than that. It's more gentle than that. He may lead you to work at a particular job at a particular restaurant for a particular couple of years. That's all part of the calling of where he may be moving you to. And that over time, God's grace, very subtly, very quietly, is designing for us that thing or those things that we can do in this life that we would find so fulfilling and so satisfying. And he may not reveal that to, he probably won't reveal that to you when you're 17 years old or 22 years old or perhaps even 27 years old or 37 years old or whatever. He's just gently stacking up experiences, giving you direction, guiding and leading you until you end up in a place where like Paul, you can say, I'm here because of the grace of God. I was called into sales. I was called to be in construction. I was called to be a nurse by the grace of God, quietly, subtly, in lots of disguised ways. This of course is true for many among us who have the high calling of being a mom. Now I want to say to those who want that calling and God hasn't given it to you, please remember point three, that in the pain, and in the difficulty of wanting to be a mom, to wanting to be called to that and not being called to that, that God's grace is at work, healing those wounds, restoring your soul. And that if God has not called you to be a mom, he's called you to something else. It may be to be a spiritual mom. It may be to being a fantastic aunt, a great friend, person whose career brings God immense pleasure and glory, a person who's engaged in whatever service God calls you to, God has a calling for each one of us. And on Mother's Day, it can be painful to want to be called to be a mom and to not have God call you to that. May his grace restore and bless you in the midst of it. And may he show you that he has called you to something. And may you fulfill that calling in a way that's pleasing to him. For those among us who have been called to be a mom, I thought there was a comment in Jerry Sitzer's book, A Grace Disguised, that might be an encouragement to you this day. He says this, my children are a delight to me. I look at them and wonder, where did you come from? How did you turn out this way? What happened to make you so extraordinary? They seem like a miracle to me. Stone turned into bread, water into wine. How could someone as inadequate as me rear people who are so obviously superior to me? 
I can only attribute it to the grace and goodness of God. He says that as a single parent, having raised his three surviving children after that accident. And what I say to the moms whose calling is to be a mom, God's grace is at work in your calling. And slowly and subtly and surely, it's a reminder that God is the one doing the parenting. And that you may look at your children and say, where did they come from? How did this happen? It happened in part because of your faithfulness, because of your ongoing work, and because of your labors. It also happened because while you were sleeping, while you were resting, while you were failing, while you were falling short, God's grace was at work. Quietly, subtly, day after day, week after week, month after month. Be encouraged that as your children grow, as your grandchildren grow, as your great-grandchildren grow, that they will become the people they're going to become. Yes, because of your hard work. Yes, despite your failures and your shortcomings. Yes, because it will be God's grace that will be at work. I hope this word encourages you today. We like to think of God's activities as being loud, and some of them most certainly are. But Titus reminds us that God's grace is often quiet, it's often subtle, it's often disguised. It comes to us in how God offers us salvation. It comes to us in how God teaches us to be godly. It comes to us in how God restores our souls. And it comes to us in how God calls us to the things he's called us to do. As we bring this teaching to a close, there's no real better way to celebrate the quiet grace of God than with communion. In just a minute, you're going to have an opportunity to go into the kitchen and grab something that you can use for communion again. Ideally, I've got bread here and juice. You may not have that. Maybe you're going to use orange juice. Maybe you're going to use wine. Maybe you're going to use something else. Uh, You're going to have a bread product. Maybe it was made by Nabisco. I don't know. Whatever it is, it's fine. You're going to take a cracker and you're going to take some juice. And they may not look like much. This bread and this cup, they don't look like much. If you're holding a Ritz cracker and a glass of orange juice, it's going to look like even less. But it's a reminder that God's grace is quiet. It's subtle. It's always at work. And that as we partake of communion together, this is an opportunity, yes, of course, and important to confess our sins. I did that at the beginning of the sermon when I prayed for us, and if your heart agreed with that, then your heart is right with the Lord. If you've not yet accepted Christ as your Savior, but you hear that quiet call of Jesus to believe that he's Lord and you simply are willing to accept, please participate with us. But while you hold on to that bread and that cup, we're gonna have a couple of songs. That's the time you go into the kitchen and get the stuff if you don't have it already. As you hold on to that bread and that cup, just think a little bit about the quiet grace of God. 
Jesus came among us as a baby in a forgotten corner of the empire. God's grace subtly, quietly, in a disguised way appearing to us. And as we hold on to that bread and hold on to that cup, it's a chance to thank God for his daily grace, for his saving grace, for his teaching grace, for his restoring grace, for his calling grace. I'll get back up and then we can partake of it together. Before we participate in communion, one of our elders who's in his home uh, is going to be praying for us. Uh, Dale McNich will lead us in prayer by video. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast from Calvary Church. We hope this message has brought the light and hope of God's presence into your life, refreshing your soul for the journey the Lord has you on. If you have a spiritual need or would like to connect further with the work God is doing through Calvary Church, seek us out online at calvarygr.org. On our website, you can also find an archive of previous messages from this series. Thanks for listening.